0: Good morning. Good morning to everyone on the stream. I think of all the translations of the Bible and of all of the ways that words are put together to describe the joy of Jesus Christ and and his coming into this world, It's the words of Eugene Peterson that probably catch me the most, where he says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It's such a brilliant way of describing the coming of Jesus Christ. He could word it this way as well love moved into the neighborhood, love came to town. Now, I don't know about you, but those words catch me. And they make me think, Jesus actually walked this earth. There was dust on his feet. There was sweat on his brow. There was stains on his clothes. He ate food. He slept. He wept. He had friends. And we are 2,000 years distant distance from that time, and it can almost for us feel a little unreal, a little unbelievable. But this morning, I I want us to look and think about the context of Jesus coming and putting himself in our place. You see, I've talked a lot about context is king. And getting to know a place is such a critical part of being part of a community. And so things like knowing what the snow feels like in Fort Saskatchewan, which is different than Vancouver Island. The squeak under your feet as the snow just simply refuses to be packed. I've tried to make snowballs here. It's way more fun on the island. Not for Karen, but for me, way more fun on Vancouver Island. And the other thing about the snow on Vancouver Island versus Fort Saskatchewan, it lasts about 48 hours. Whereas here, it lasts about 48 years. But you see, to know this, you have to live here. The humidity in Manila, when you walk out the door and it hits you like a wall. And we talk about having two shirt days or three shirt days. Whether you needed to change your shirt at noon or could it go all day. And the only way you can know that humidity is to have lived it. The warm breeze in Cochabamba, known as the land of the eternal spring. Always a warm breeze. Probably the single best place to live on the entire planet. There is no snow. There is no oppressive heat. There is no humidity whatsoever. And I'm wondering why I left there. <laughs> Gorgeous place. Land of the eternal spring spring, a cold night in La Paz, no internal heating, so when it drops below freezing, you shiver to stay warm, the way the altitude affects your breathing when you go up the stairs, so it doesn't matter if it's somebody young and in shape or old and out of shape, you're both breathing heavy at the top of the long stairs, which are all over the city because it's built in a bowl, and the only way you can know this is is to have lived there and this is what jesus did you see jesus became a resident and not a tourist he moved into the neighborhood he moved in to save us he didn't need to come to understand us but we needed him to come so that we could know he does He knows what it feels like to stub your little toe on the corner of the bed, which I did this morning. And man, did that hurt. And he knows what this feels like. He knows what it feels like to have sweat stains under your shirt. And you're embarrassed because your breath smells in the morning. This is the Savior that we serve. This is the God that we worship. The one who had plaque on his teeth. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And this does not diminish him in any way. In fact, it makes love more real and more expressive. And we can understand him because he became like us, and yet, praise God, nothing like us. John writes, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created. And His life brought light to everything and everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is... The true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, But a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the father's one and only son. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds. This is the one I was talking about. When I said someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. From his abundance we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. He has revealed God to us. In this very short section of Scripture, John completely takes the worldview of both the Jew and the Greek and flips it on its head. He unpacks massive theological themes that we could spend a year talking about. And he starts with this this incredible news that this is not a new God. God. That this one we call Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, was there at the beginning. He was there when Isaiah wrote the names. He was there when Jeremiah said, stick with your city. He was there when Ezekiel saw this whole image and vision of the people being renewed and restored. Jesus was there at every single moment through history. From the beginning, Not a lesser God. Not a second place. Not a new idea. With God was God part of this idea of the Trinity. The very one who created everything. It's a profound thought. It's shocking language. It prevents us from simply dismissing this one, this Jesus, as a good man. See, John leaves us with absolutely no choice. Jesus is either who he is claiming to be, with God, is God, light, truth, or he is a complete and utter madman. You don't get to let yourself off the hook. John takes us and puts us in this place where he says creation was formed through him. He is the original builder. He is the life giver, and you don't get to just dismiss him. You see, Jesus brings light. He claims to be light. And he says, Let there be light in all of your life. But the kind of light that Jesus is, is the kind of light that can't be extinguished by the darkness. There's no darkness in our lives. There's no darkness in this world that can push the light of Jesus away. And this is profoundly good news. Because it doesn't matter what is happening around us. It doesn't matter what is happening within us. There is nothing more powerful than the light of Jesus Christ. And this is John's testimony. The one who will come who is far greater. Who existed long before me. Who was there at the beginning. You see, he knows better. And I think John is the model for all of us. To proclaim the one who came before me. And he knows better. John submits to this. The apostle writes that Jesus, the word, is a mediator. He's active in creation. He not only created it, but he is active in its continuance. None of what's going on around us is suddenly out of God's control. These words give us hope in that Jesus hasn't taken his hand off the wheel. That none of what's going on in our world is thwarting the plan and the promise of Jesus Christ. See, the gospel, the good news that Jesus is still in charge and has been in charge from the beginning and will be in charge to the very end, is baked right into John's theology. See, it's new life through Jesus Christ. It's salvation. The first salvation in Moses, it brought the law it showed us what was expected of us. It gave us the clarity we needed to know what God wanted, how to be his people. But of course that unlocked in us these deep passions Paul writes, it births sin within us. And so we all fail to uphold the law. And when Jesus came, he brings both truth and grace. And this is the profound love that he brings. He doesn't lessen the requirements. He doesn't say the law of Moses doesn't matter. He doesn't say that truth is irrelevant. He doesn't say that your behavior and your, your existence in this world is of no importance. He calls us to live a life worthy of the call. But he knows that we can't do that and we will constantly fail. And so there's grace that he brings as he lifts us up, pays the price for our sin and restores our relationship back to himself, back to God, Holy Spirit, Father, Son. You see, this is profoundly good news. It changes the way we interact with one another. It changes the way we view ourselves ultimately it changes the way that we can relate to our Father in Heaven. I can love because Jesus first loved me. But He not only came, He came in human form. Not just in in appearance, He became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. He took on our weakness He took on our reality and he took on a mission of incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. So that today, even though he's not walking the earth, he's seated at the right hand of the throne and he is mediating on our behalf to this day. He is still with us and for us. And so in Jesus, we can now see God, and we see him as the Lord of life. And this is what John proclaims. The deeds and the words of Jesus are the deeds and the words of God. Do You hear that? The deeds and the words of Jesus are the deeds and the words of God. The darkness cannot overcome the one who has come. But it's not just a display of power. Jesus chose to engage our life so completely that he suffered. He he, he experienced weakness, humiliation. And he brings salvation in a completely new way. It's a new way for us to see and experience and live out power. You see, the world says the only way you can accomplish something is through some form of force. And Jesus says, no, the only way you can accomplish something is through a profound sense of love. That in our weakness, in our frailty, in our humiliation, that's where Jesus works and changes everything. And he brings about a new freedom. He brings about healing. He brings about a way to find life in the midst of our suffering, even while we are yet weak, even while we are facing humiliation. It's a concrete experience of the glory of God incarnate in the man Jesus Christ. It is touchable, real, present. And it's relevant. You see, it's salvation. It's salvation from sin and shame and loss and brokenness. It's salvation to a restored relationship and new life. Relationship with God and relationship with one another. And it's salvation for a mission and a purpose. God saves us and then He invites us into His family, and then He says, You're now part of the family business. And so we have a reason for getting up in the morning it's salvation from the darkness, from estrangement, and from a life without purpose. It's a new identity with the Son of God as He calls us brother. It's a new identity of the Son of God as we recognize in Jesus the one we've been searching for all along. And it's new possibilities for those of us who are the restored people. Possibilities of healing, internal transformation, external engagement, and mission. And it's salvation that defines life in a completely different way. There's clarity in these words from John. There's no guessing what's true and what's right. He tells us straight up, in Jesus you will find life. And with it comes a complete rejection of all the small g gods in our life. See, the world's serving up again and again and again different ways of experiencing salvation that always lead to death. But see, Jesus is calling us into an absolute transformation, body, mind, and soul. And it's to a new life and a new way of engaging our world. And it's one rooted in love. See, Jesus was born into a world that didn't recognize him. And so for us to live this story out, we have to face the reality the world still doesn't recognize Jesus. And still rejects him. And I think as I read John's passage, internally within me, I sense that I'm having my faith awoken. There's a call and a sense that I want to see what's going to happen here. Because it's universal in scope. And it changes my status. It changes the way I relate to the world. It changes the way I relate to my God. It changes the way I relate to my family and even myself. It's salvation. And it's through a sovereign means. You see, man wills it. We choose to be saved, but it's worked entirely by God. So it is a gift. It has nothing to do with anything that I've done, said, or experienced. Because me at my best still is far short of what the requirement is. And so Jesus comes in and gives us this love. And the implication of this is beyond salvation, it is affirmation. I am wonderfully made. So no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter what I have done, no matter what it is that's going on in my life, Jesus Christ is saying, I died for you, and I died for you because I love you, and you're now a member of my family. And I'm affirmed. And I don't know about you, but affirmation is one of those things that can so often be lacking. Jesus is saying, I love you and you're mine. And so there's this identification. I'm no longer alone. This world can be incredibly lonely, incredibly painful, How many times have you felt in the midst of a crowd like you're all by yourself? It's the human condition. I experience all of you externally. I only experience myself internally. And it's lonely. And Jesus comes into that. God is the only other one who experiences you internally. You no longer have a need to be alone. And he calls us into adoration. And it's adoration that goes both ways. See, we get to adore God. We get to look at Jesus and say, you're the one and you're the only But Jesus is looking back at you and saying, I adore you. I don't know about you, but I I need to hear that sometimes. That I am I am one that is adored, even in my worst of times, when I wake up in the morning and I smell, when I make a mistake, when I stub my toe. And I'm struggling not to use four-letter words. He adores me. So we bring it all together. In Isaiah, we talked about the names of Jesus. You see, when Isaiah wrote that, he didn't know that it was Jesus. But these names were profound. Jeremiah says there's hope And I want you to invest in your city. I want you to move into the neighborhoods. In Ezekiel, he said we will find peace and new life. And we will be restored to wholeness. Isaiah talked about joy in this new covenant relationship with God. That will make a difference in your life day in and day out. And then John comes and cracks the whole thing wide open. And says he was there from the beginning. He was there in the middle. He will be there at the end. He lives among us now. And he is your friend forever, and love is complete. And if that doesn't put a chill up your spine, I don't know what else to say because he is the one of peace, the mighty, fatherly, wonderful one. He is Jesus Christ, Lord of all, and he comes in power, but he submitted to God and humbled himself to the point of getting on a cross so that we could have life. This is Jesus. He is everything. And he calls us to submit. We're called, like Jeremiah, to bless the city. To move into the neighborhood. With unfailing love and faithfulness, our response is to live that out as the church. The incarnational example of Jesus Christ is what he's calling us to as well. To take that love into our homes, into our workplaces, into our streets of our city. And love the way Jesus loved. Not with a show of power. But with suffering, humility, humiliation at times. Living the life of Jesus in our neighborhood. And that's where he wants to live. In our world, our homes, our hearts. All the places that are broken. And we think exile. That's been our focus over this Advent season. In exile. No matter the condition. God wants to come into that. The broken cities, broken communities, broken homes, and broken hearts. and He wants to transform them. And he's calling us to live in the exact same places. Look for the broken spots. And that's where he wants us to go. Because like Ezekiel, he wants to restore and transform and put flesh and blood and breathe life into the broken, the dead, the dying those who have completely dried out because of their experience. A reborn people. And Jesus is offering us this new life. He wants to lift us up from being the dry bones and create in us this army of God's people who don't fight with swords and spears and guns, but with Love and truth and hope and joy and peace. And that's what this Christmas season is all about. And he's calling us to live this life. And this influences the way we live and it influences the way we believe. And Jesus is inviting us in. And he's saying, don't hide from me. And he's saying, you don't have to clean up first. And he says, I want you to just Open your door to me. But don't put off inviting him in. I so often see people delaying their commitment to Christ. I remember as a young person waiting. I knew what truth was, but I put it off. And did so much damage to myself and other people. I fought truth. And wouldn't give in. And Jesus just stood at the door and knocked and knocked and knocked. But you see, there's joy in this new relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it's about inviting him in, but letting him stay. We're not to put him in the guest room. We're to give him the master suite. We're to give him a set of keys. We're to put his name on the front sign. And if you're old, put it in a phone book. If you're young, put it in your contacts. But not as one of the guests, as one of the family. Invite him in and let him stay. But see, so often, even those who have committed to Christ and are living restored lives, we still can treat Jesus like he's a visitor, inviting him in only when we need him. And when everything kind of feels like it's okay. We've dressed stuff up. We've put on our best cutlery and plates. We've put on the best tablecloth. And we invite Jesus to sit at the head of the table. And he's saying, oh, I want to sit in the family room with you, and I want to eat food out of a plate and spill it all over the place. I want to be there in and out of season. I want to be there all the time, not just when it's this time of year, but every moment of every day. John is telling us that love is here, it's moved into the neighborhood. It's available now, and Jesus wants to come in, and He wants to stay. But you see, He won't barge in. He waits for an invitation. And even if He is a well-worn visitor, He's saying, I want to move in and stay. So this morning, I think we're being called to consider our own lives in this Christmas season. Does Jesus have a set of keys to my home? Is he on the deed? Is he a guest or is it his place of residence? Is he a tourist or is he a local? Is he given a guest room or has he got the big bed with the ensuite? Do I know him as Savior? Do I know him as Lord? Do I know him as friend? I know him as healer. Because I think Jesus is calling us into a deeper relationship with him this Christmas. How is he calling you? How is he calling you into an increase of hope? How is he calling you into an increase of peace? How is he calling you into an, an increase of immeasurable joy? And how is He calling you into a life of love and relationship with Him where it touches every single part of your life? My prayer for you, my prayer for all of us is that this season would bring us into a deeper and more meaningful understanding of what that means for me, for you, for those we love. That we would know Jesus more deeply than ever throughout this coming year. And that we would come to see Jesus as having authority and lordship in every single part of what we do. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Is he living in your home or just the one next door? May you and yours have a very merry Christmas. And may you remember that love lives here. May he live here as well. Lord, we thank you for John's gospel and this amazing truth that comes just pouring in when we are dry and parched. But Lord, a love that comes with truth and grace, holding up what we are being called to do and to live, but with this immense level of forgiveness and understanding that brings the freedom to just engage. Lord, for all those listening who don't yet know you, I pray they would submit their lives that they would stop fighting, stop running, open the door, and let you move into their master suite. Lord, for those of us who have a relationship with you, but that relationship is kind of distant. We pray that we would, would sit down and just enjoy fellowship in the living room, in the dining room, in the family room. And we would just get to know you as, as just the closest of family and friends. And Lord, for those who know that they've kept you in the guest suite, I pray this Christmas they would move out and let you move into the master suite. Lord, thank you that you love us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you that 2,000 years ago, you chose to move into the neighborhood and that you remain with us today. So it is in your name we pray. Amen.